welcome to Bookshelf Shelfies. I'm your host, Mary Barbara Hanna. Here we interview everyday people about their extraordinary lives and the books that influence them. Hi, everybody. It's Mary Barbara Hanna, and this is Bookshelf Shelfies. Today, I have a fascinating guest, as, as every guest is. I have yet to bring you a really dull and boring person, but I'm working on that. That's, that's in my list of things to do. This man is Jesse Wiest. I believe I'm saying your last name correctly. Wow, yes, that is per- correct. Yeah. Thank you. And impressive. Um, thanks, Jesse. <laughs> um, I met Jesse through a podcasters group that I belong to. So last year, I think it was last year for my birthday, my husband Mark bought me a ticket to a podcaster convention, but virtual. And you could sign up and take all these classes. And then I think they started a Facebook group or I joined a Facebook group after that. Jesse, is it the same for you? You, you went to like podcast university or podcast movement university? I, I, I did not. I, I didn't go to uh, the a conference. Um, I, I know what you're aware of. And I, I did not uh, attend that. Um, now this but, was just uh, virtual. I didn't yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I think I essentially just... It's a long story, but uh, I, I got a, we have an uh, really into yeah, that's true. I uh, <laughs> got a uh, into uh, history, listening to history podcasts. Um, uh, some of the the big classics, I guess, if you're into history podcasts, like Dan mm-hmm. Carlin's Hardcore yes, History. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna say his name wrong. Anton, Antonelli Benelli. I, I I don't. He's an Italian uh, guy. Oh, history on fire. He, yeah, he's a he's wonderful. He's actually specifically who I listened to an episode on, he has an, a two-part episode on Teddy Roosevelt. Hmm. And in the middle of this episode, he tells us a story about uh, Teddy Roosevelt that's very personal um, about how Theodore Roosevelt, at one point in his life, he was uh, holding his newborn infant daughter as his wife was dying. Mm. Um, wow, I didn't know that. And Antelli, well, yeah, that's a, a kind of a bummer of a way to, to start this. But um, <laughs> Antelli, he sh- goes ahead and he shares that that exact same thing happened to him. And then I, he tell this very emotional moment, and in a blink of an eye, he just goes, "But enough about the story of Antelli Benelli. This is the story of Theodore Roosevelt." And that was mm. so inspiring to me. Um, that I realized that, you know, I, I've never dealt with anything quite that tragic, uh, certainly, but I have a very unusual story and, uh, and that I, I decided I needed to start a history podcast. Um, at the time I was a park ranger, uh, I should understand in Savannah, Georgia, mm-hmm. and I worked at a historic site, uh, Wormslow state historic site. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the oldest standing structures in Georgia. It's a wonderful place. And just for anybody listening, I live in Denver, Colorado, but I will always love Savannah, Georgia. I will be a booster for Savannah, Georgia, as far as uh, tourism goes and and history uh, for, uh, and we can talk about Savannah for hours and hours and hours. I am actually going to stop you right there because uh, first first of all, there's several things happening in there. Oh, please. Worm slow is spelled for my listeners, W-O-R-M-S-L-O-E, Wormslow Plantation Park. Now, the reason I know this is because, of course, I subscribed to Jesse's podcast. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> podcast <laughs> no. is called, hang on there, his podcast Gosh. is called The Atlantic World. And one of the beautiful things, if you're a history buff like I am and you enjoy these kinds of podcasts, what is so fantastic, uh, two things here. Number one, they go on for hours. So yeah. oh, yeah. I have listened. This is my second time going through the Savannah podcast, the one about Savannah. Yeah, It's uh, two hours and it's so chock full of information and history that you have to listen at least twice. I have to listen. Because they're so, I like, I feel like I just want to sit down and take notes. The other thing that's going on is to have the actual historian sitting across from me, kind of, is like getting a private history lesson. And so I've just, I am just like, talk about anything you want. <laughs> but I will say I have been to Savannah maybe twice now. Oh, great. I am a huge, huge fan of Savannah. I uh, yeah. am in love with that place. So what, uh, Jesse, what I'd like to do is before we get into talking about Savannah, I actually want to back up a few steps to your life before becoming a podcaster. Yes. And in, again, if you listen to Jesse's podcast, the Atlantic world, 
Uh, he, his very first episode is really interesting because it does tell you a bit about his backstory. And not every podcast does that. Some people just start off and you know, you're just hearing about their current world. But um, Jesse has a very um, important part of his story that I really latched onto. And for all my followers, once you get to that place, they'll all know what it is. So would you tell me a little bit about well, life, but specifically getting into the high school years and sort of what happened along that that time frame? Yeah. Well, uh, I I did not have a. I should I should say I guess I'm I I probably I, I guess I'm a little bipolar. I should okay. probably start with that. And I did not understand. You know, this I understand that now. And uh, when I was young, I didn't grasp that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had a tough time growing up. Yeah. In some and, ways, and I will just disclose here: I have a very close family member. My daughter, yeah, is also bipolar. Right, was diagnosed in I think she was eighth grade, 13, 14, freshman year in high school. Yeah, so, and so um, right, and so that I say that because I'm sure that that that's that's part of 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 what's going on. But I, I didn't have a very easy time. I'm from New Jersey and and some people, especially if you're not from the South, they say they can catch a Southern accent. And I assure you, I can, I can kind of turn it on and off, you know, like I can, <laughs> and uh, I, I have a very, really, if you had a strong Southern accent by the end of this hour, I would also have a strong Southern accent. I'm, I'm that, I have that sort of uh uh the voice, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Acclamation. That's the word at any rate. And so, it was very it was very difficult for me uh, going to we we moved from New Jersey to Virginia for a couple of years, which was nice. But we lived in a very small town in Virginia. I don't my parents weren't very happy uh, there. And I should say, though, the whole reason they moved in the first place is because uh, my, uh, my father had inherited my great grandfather's old farmhouse and it could not afford to it like it literally had no air conditioning i mean it was like you know i didn't understand that at the time either but like like why do we have to move this house seems great and they're like okay this house is falling apart and we can't we don't have a million dollars to fix it and so, uh you know sidestepping there i live yeah. in virginia okay west virginia almost identical yeah living in hong kong uh my husband's contract was over we were moving back to the u.s and his mom lived in parkersburg and the house she grew up in, the hundred-year-old farmhouse, was for sale, and that is where I'm sitting. Oh wow! In awesome. the hundred-year-old yeah. farmhouse, <laughs> and uh, I'm laughing because they didn't. Ha- Mark remembers coming here as a young yeah. boy, and there was no indoor plumbing, and we have drone pictures of the farm, or not drone, but uh, maybe like an airplane flew over to take pictures of the property. And you can still see where, not anymore, but where the outhouse was. And Mark remembers using the uh, little bowls at night, whatever you would have. Yeah. Um, and we still have the old well out there. The hand pump is old. We have air conditioning. I, I just want to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be clear. I, yeah, exactly. I'm not Don't be scared to, to come over. <laughs> exactly. Without, I'm not going anywhere without air conditioning and indoor plumbing. Those are right. Oh, yeah. For In sure. any relationship, I need air conditioning and indoor plumbing. Yeah, absolutely. So I, it just, again, back to that kind of funny how our lives no, have parallels yeah. a little bit. So I know why your parents could be unhappy. Right. Anyway. <laughs> and anyway, and, um, and anyway, a, a few years after that, uh, I guess this was 1991, maybe, maybe 19, probably 1990, 1990 or uh, 1991, we moved to Savannah, Georgia. I, at the time, I, what I should have done uh, immediately, and I, is when I got to the first day of the fifth grade, is reported to my teachers and my parents, I'm sorry, I learned all of this in the fourth grade in my school in Virginia, and I didn't. I got the best grades probably of my whole life that year. Uh, I, I mean, like, like just, you know, things like I'm bad at math and science, right? Get like a 97 on the test and everything. And it was just the easy, it was anyway, uh, I think in retrospect, that probably taught me some bad habits in <laughs> middle school. I didn't do as well in school. And by the time, and, and I was never very popular having been the new kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still remember the first time I had like learned how to say y'all and, oh. you know, and, and just, and I'm, I, for those of you listening, I'm pretty, I look maybe uh, Hispanic or Arabic or something that's not white. Um, <laughs> and uh, at any rate, so in, in to, to put this in, in very, I mean, in, in clear terms, it's, 
what I my discovery of Savannah, Georgia is it is a black and white town. And I going to public school there, I was there's a first I mean, not not that I've experienced a lot of racism, but what I would be told uh, by by black kids and white kids like like who like, no, you're a Mexican or (laughs) one time this kid told me I was from Hawaii and I was so and and he was so certain that I was like, maybe I I like literally was like, am I adopted? Maybe I'm from Hawaii. Uh, by it's the time really, high, I mean, it's so interesting yeah. how and people I, are so determined yeah. to exactly pinpoint where you're from. Not you, yeah, I mean, just yeah, any of yeah. us, if you don't fit the mold. Right. You know, well, I've, you know I've, and I, boy, have I and got I have a, no a little... idea why people are so. It's, it's, it's right. No, it's um, okay. So by the time high school runs rolls around, I'm, you know, I'm just the stereotypical little 98 pound little boy. I just want to be cool so bad. <laughs> I mean, to make a long story short, I, I, I was other than my grades aside in starting in middle school where I w- had, would like had learned kind of that in fifth grade, like I don't really have to do homework. I don't have mm-hmm. to do any of it. Like I know all this stuff and I'm a very bright guy anyway. I don't really say it, not smart enough to really uh, not make a lot of mistakes, but I, it, I think it was very easy for me to be a little lazy, oh, uh, just sure. growing. And, and part of that, I don't, I don't want to get too philosophical. Part of that is that we live in America in post-World War II America. It's super easy to be a little lazy. Um, at any rate, uh, you know, through, I would have been, I was shy. I can remember being like shocked, for example, when I was like 13 at seeing like kids, like, like rebellious girls go and smoke a cigarette in the bathroom and being like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. And I, I tell you, I must've been in high school for two weeks before I was all like, I, me and a friend of mine, we were like, let's go to a party and get drunk and high. Wow. And wow. yeah, and I mean, I, I maybe I, two weeks might have been a slight exaggeration. And But I, I want you to, that's why I mentioned that I'm bipolar. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I know how to deal with that a little better now. I try to eat healthy and not that I even understood what that meant when I was a little kid, really. Um, try to make sure I'm getting exercise and just be, and part of that's just experience being mindful that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my moods uh, do change me, you know, maybe I just need to calm down a little bit before but I, I think go also off the you're deep talking, end. Yeah, you're talking about navigating very difficult waters for adults, let alone yeah. a child who is, has either been diagnosed or not diagnosed, who in the throes of, you know, adolescence is just trying to figure their, themselves out. Like it's bad enough as it is just with right. hormones raging. And then if you add on top of it, chemical imbalance, you know, yes. I mean, how does anybody get through? Yeah. Oh, and I should, I, add, I didn't really add also um, school in Savannah, Georgia, public school for me. This was the first time I went to public school. It was such a complete shift from being in a, I went to a school in New Jersey called Wardlaw Hartridge, where my father taught, which oh. was like something that like, I, I remember wearing a clip-on tie in the second grade. It was like a very different experience then. Yes, yeah. uh, like sometimes I wonder like, boy, if I had stayed there, is that like, would I have gone to Harvard? Like I, mm-hmm. <laughs> how different mm-hmm. my life might've been in those circumstances. And, you know, that it was the kind of, like I, I, I was going to school there because my father taught there. It wasn't something yes. that I could afford. But at any rate, um, Savannah, like middle school where I went to in Savannah, Georgia, I mean, it was the stereotypical worst inner city school kind of, not the what I mean, I mean, it was bad. I yeah, like yeah. as far as uh, a very sh- it was shocking to me to uh, learn a lot of the things I learned and to experience, you know, there's gangs and yada, yada, yada. And um, it's just very, uh, very different by the I in, in high school. I also I started drinking heavily. Um, and I, I would consider myself an alcoholic even t- to this day. I, I rarely drink, uh, now, mm-hmm. mostly because I would not go to school. I, the school I went to and I'll put it to you like this in Savannah, Georgia, or when I went to public school and I, I don't want to, I'm sure there's some good, there's great te- I'm not saying there's not great teachers there or that you can't get a good education in the public schools of Savannah, Georgia. You can. Mm-hmm. If you are a kid who is highly motivated or your parents are so motivated, you know, really, you know, the, the tiger mom kind of concept, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can get a great education. You can also slip through a crack and nobody will even look for you. Yeah. Oh boy. In the 12th grade, when I should have been in the 12th grade, four years into high school, I was still in the 10th grade. Technically I had failed so many classes and 
I got in a fight and I, I, I got into a, a fight and I, I was just very, I mean, it's hard to explain why exactly I, I okay. quit. I, I, I just, it always makes sense. I'm very emotional. Yeah, it seemed like a great school. idea. I just didn't want to go to school anymore. Yeah, right. and, and, um, you know, when you're 18, you're just, uh, your prefrontal cortex isn't done right. developing, right? Yeah. And you think you know a lot about the world and you're ready to make your decisions. And, you know, sometimes you just need yes. to go a different way. Yeah, I, I did. I had also gotten into a um, pet up. Yeah, I, I got into an argument with a teacher that's kind of, yes, I decided to quit school. Uh, <laughs> that did not make my parents very happy. <laughs> and I should say I have wonderful parents. Um, they are not the sort of parents who would raise <laughs> a high school dropout. But uh, I, I mean, it, and and it was I just I just remember being very angry. Yeah. Um, well, I think that really comes back to when you're dealing with chemical imbalance, when you yeah. don't understand why things, you know, some kids' life just seems to come to them so easy, and everything just seems so natural. And when you're a kid that's moved a couple times, and you're thrown into a situation that's completely different, and the bipolar part is rearing its ugly head kind of suddenly, because I think it really gets activated me personally by those hormones, you know, maybe everything was fine in fifth grade and sixth grade and things maybe start for my daughter. I know they started changing when she got into high school and, um, seemingly with no explanation. And I think that, um, no, it's never a judgment on your parents. And, and I, as you know, no, oh, yeah, no, I'm a not. GED teacher. Lots of things come into play when people. Right. No, I, I want to be, and I, I want to be clear. Yeah, no, that's, it's, that uh, I had a very good upbringing. I guess. Of course, of course. It's no, <laughs> right. There's no question. I mean, it's not about that. What I'd like you to do now is, so you dropped out and were you about 18 or 17? Yeah, I was 18, which is why I could, which is why my parents as angry as they were, could not really do anything about it. And, and, and I, when I say, I remember being so angry, I even remember at one point, the principal of the school, it wasn't a large high school. And uh, the principal of the school, he, he, he totally he called me and he said, Jesse, if you just come to school, had come for the rest of the semester. I'll just graduate you. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't want to repeat what I told him, but Thank it you. was, you know, it was, uh, I'm sure that four letter word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Blank you. And, yeah. and I hung up and, and it's just like, you know, thinking back on that, like, wow, that's really stupid. Why would, but, it, it, but Hello, I, I say that just to, to, I, I, what, it wasn't a rational decision exactly right. that I was making. No, to, it was to emotional. Leave. Yeah. So can you take us forward then? Yeah. Because the story, uh, I'm not sure where it goes from there, but I do know right. it takes a great turn because you do go back and get your GED. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, I should credit, oh, oh yeah. I, I'd like to credit specifically. Yeah, I, I got my GED pretty close to, I, I didn't have to take any, I, I remember I didn't need the remedial classes yet. I, well, oh. I might've been 19. It yeah, might have okay. been a year, and I took the GED, and and I passed it. I th I probably did have to like kind of study some of the math a little bit beforehand. <laughs> I, I but Everybody you know I'm geometry, uh, right? Um, <laughs> part of my issue, I I think with school, like I was not like I said, like I should have said, hey, in fifth grade, hey, I really should be in the sixth grade uh, here. And I should say I the reason I didn't that. do that, if you can imagine being, uh, you know, the sort of stories you see on what happens to you in junior high when you're a little, if you can imagine being like the 11 year old kid being like, there's no way I'm, I'm kind of small now. Like I'm not going into middle school and telling everybody like I'm the smart kid here. Like there's no way that that's going <laughs> to be preservation. My like I, I will be killed anyway, you know, so that's, how, how I, I wasn't really, I, I personally, I think if I had been challenged more, I guess, uh, growing up uh, in, in school, or in, in, in certain ways, maybe that would have been a little better for me, too. But, you know, yeah, it, like you said, it's a lot of stuff that all led there. So anyway, after school, and I want to credit specifically someone, uh, and specifically, I want to mention him, just because he passed away many years ago. And this, his name is Mark Borgens, uh, who... Mm -hmm. Really, it's too bad nobody can interview him. He was an, at five years old. His mother, who also crazier than me, if I can use that term for myself, sure. that I'm crazy, then she's a little, she was crazy. Uh, that She moved him when he was five and his sister when she was four out of Canada illegally to the United States. And he had been working full time, essentially, as a painter since he was about seven or eight years old. So 
Mark Borgens, the part of how I became such an alcoholic was because when I was 15 years old, my one of my best friends, Mark Borgens, had his own house. Um, he was renting. His mother was crazy. So she, I guess, let, you know, he was just renting a house. I was making enough money to rent a house from another painter. And so we would just get, you know, anyway. So after I had dropped out, he helped me out a lot. He gave me a job that didn't last very long because he worked with his mom and they would fight all the time. It's a long story, but he, he, I think he was, he passed away. Uh, he got in a car wreck. I think he was probably oh, drinking and driving sorry. when we were 19. Fast forward, I, uh, he's one of my best friends. Uh, the other one being a guy named Chris Todd, who is also passed away, oh, I should I'm say. So sorry. It's a crazy life. Uh, basically, uh, to make it real simple, me and Chris Todd and whoever else continued drinking, 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 drinking. He did not drop out of school, I should say, or anything. But at about t- when I was 24 years old, uh, I had uh, a girlfriend who, uh, our relationship fell apart. And after that, it was rock bottom. I stopped, I, I, I kind of stopped drinking as much, I guess. Yeah. Not long after that, I basically applied to go to college. And where did I, you, where did you apply to? A few different places. Oh, I okay. remember I got into Valdosta State University. Okay. I was dating a girl at the University of Georgia. And I remember when I applied at them, I also applied at the University of Georgia. And that's where I ended up going. And I couldn't believe they let me in. And to this day, I'm not sure if I, I think I just fit like a quota for I, I'm a non-traditional <laughs> student. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why they let me in. Like I, I had a pretty good essay about how would like to turn my life around, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, I, I honestly don't understand why they let me in. Well, you know, I, you I, I have hit it on the head with being the non-traditional student. Right, right. And sometimes older students actually make better students. Yeah. Now, oh, I made I made for an excellent student. Yeah, I, I will exactly. say. Now they um, actually know what's going on. And, 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 and it came and went, though. I will say that school was very difficult for me mm-hmm. when I went mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. I was very gung-ho. I was still, you know, obviously I'm still bipolar. Uh, there would be times where I would get super depressed and I would skip class or something like that. And it was, di- mm-hmm. there, you know, there were, there were difficulties. And, and I should say that's when I started to learn about by being bipolar and everything. Mm-hmm. I was 24 or just about to turn 25 when I, when I went to college. And I was actually, I should say, I was at the orientation for Valdosta State University. And I got a call from my sister. She said, uh, you got a letter here. She's like, you just got accepted into Georgia. And I'm like, Emily, you don't know what you're talking about. That was for fun. You know, like I had an extra $50 or whatever the fee was to apply there. And, 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 and this girl I was seeing, Rachel, kind of convinced me to apply there. But sure enough, it was real. And I told Valdosta State, that's, uh, thank you for the opportunity. But um, you, the University of Georgia is an excellent school. Mm-hmm. Some people might argue that I wasted my time getting a history degree there instead of... <laughs> Not me. I, no, but you Not know what me. I mean. But uh, <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, I worked. There were a lot of struggles in freshman chemistry, and and because I've been accepted late, I have the last pick of the classes, oh, and yes. and even amongst oh. the freshmen who have the last pick of the classes, and so I'm doing things like picking chemistry at eight in the morning, <laughs> and I tell you, when I took my first chemistry test, I studied for two weeks. I got that test back, and I got a forty-eight on it. <laughs> So the, and the whole class is four tests and I'm like panicking the second I, I, I and like the second one, like with a step, like I still, uh, I, I, with like a study group, like I got like a 70 or so, and it's just like so math. And I should say I'm bad at math. I'm bad also at drawing and drawing these atoms. And so like, I was just the third test. I never looked at it because I didn't want to know what grade I needed on the final to mm. pass the class. And I did, I got a C minus. It was like the lowest thing. And to this day, I almost wanted to go back and be like, I, I wonder if he, because there was like, you know, a lot of people who got the grade I did on the first test, they dropped the class. And mm. I, I still, to this day, don't know if, if I did well on the final or if I, if maybe he felt, he was like, well, that, guy's too stupid to drop the class you know he just stuck right to it even though he's getting terrible grades you know just give him a c minus so he doesn't show up again next semester i i don't know but in other ways though as an excellent student i took summer classes i probably had i i, I probably have like 30 or 40 extra hours 
in wow. like history and archaeology and stuff, the things I was passionate about yeah. that I didn't need just because, you know, after the first year I did qualify for the Hope Scholarship and everything like that. But it was expensive that first year too, I should say, uh, for anybody listening oh, who's like yeah. thinking, oh, maybe I should drop out of high school and go on this path. Um, <laughs> I also, uh, the next year I tore my ACL and my meniscus. This was before Obamacare. I didn't have health insurance and I was 25, maybe 26. And that was probably one of the most difficult things of my life. Um, mm -hmm. I ended up, I could not work because I worked for a, a uh, it was for the university, but like moving speakers and, and, and lights for, oh, for shows. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And when I tried to do it, I mean, like I would hurt my, like it was too bad for my yeah, leg right. to, to try. And I ended up, you know, I had, you know, the Hope Scholarship and a Pell Grant, oh, uh, yeah. but I ended up having to sell my truck and I went mm. pretty deeply in debt. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the University of Georgia isn't as expensive as some schools went, but I, I, I was at one point over $50,000 in debt and I still have a asterisk. <laughs> I don't like looking at it. I give them I, some money every once in a while. Just so you feel better, I am going to be 58 this year yeah. and I will be paying my student loans till I'm 74. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I turned, uh, what am I, I I'll turn 40 this year, <laughs> 39. Yeah. So I, I was about to, I was about to tell say I was 38. And I was like, I don't think that's true anymore. <laughs> but you know, when I told my daughter for me at that point, because I went back to school to finish my undergraduate, I was in my late 30s, I think, yeah. and then got my master's degree in my early 40s about mm -hmm. where you are now. Yeah. And I said, you know, I didn't buy a house. I bought an education. I right. Some hey. people invest in property. I invested in the education and just like a, a property, it's a 30 year loan. And that's what I'm going for. Oh, that makes me feel good to hear that. Like, I like to think of it like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you invested wisely, my friend. Well, anyway, I, I want to, and I just want to finish up real quick oh, sure. um, with this before we get to the book, uh, I guess real quick too. I, I just want to mention, and I, I went back to school. I, I did eventually finish. It, I'm very, very, very proud of myself. And, and to this day though, a, a little bit after that, I quit smoking cigarettes. And sometimes I wonder if that was harder because <laughs> that was also something that was very difficult. And I, I should say, I, I basically, I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't drink. Uh, I, I live in Colorado. I smoke uh, weed and, and vape weed sometimes. And that's kind of my crutch. And I know I'm aware of it as a crutch and I don't, I'm still working through this life. Hey, listen, I, I quit no smoking cigarettes and cigarettes and, and I do, I might have a beer or two once every couple of months, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. for a celebration or something. But my other best friend, Chris Todd, and I knew him since the sixth grade, he continued drinking. Uh, ultimately he, died of cirrhosis at mm -hmm. a very young age. He was 32. I had almost kind of lost touch with him. I hadn't really been in contact with him much, but uh, for anyone who's experienced, you know, dealing with someone who is just like a very, hot, very, very, very in the grips of alcoholism, uh, mm -hmm. that can be very difficult to deal with, with someone like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just want to mention him specifically because he kind of ties into this book a little bit. But but to finish up with me too, I, I got a job with the Georgia Department of Natural Resources after mm -hmm. after school. I love talking about history. Savannah, you visited there twice, gets about 7 million visitors every year. That's incredible. I'm actually very proud. When I was at Wormslow State Historic Site, we, we broke records and uh, we were the state historic. I was there for five years. We were the we won like the state historic site prize like twice wow, i want to say wow. like and and I, I don't want to i cannot take all the credit for that a lot of that has to do with that my old boss his name is jason allison and anyway uh i was get, i got very good at, at at speaking to to large groups and i and see like this is so difficult for me with the zoom i'm very i don't know if you can see it with the with the i with my camera but like i move around a lot when i talk and so <laughs> so speaking in person is something that i have a lot of fun doing you know, you know I, I i love sharing jokes with strangers mm -hmm. and uh i i almost made it my mission in life to even like the, the one person in that tour group that's Board. Like, I'm going to find something about this place that they enjoy, and mm -hmm. I'm going to make them laugh. Mm -hmm. And anyway, just, you know, I, I became very good at it. And at the same time, I'm starting to discover podcasts um, re or listening to them more, and I start getting into that. And, and, and the, I guess the final thing that made me want to do this, okay, 
that made me realize I could do this is, uh, you know, there's a museum with a gift shop and I am, I'm, I'm starting to experience people who are selling their books here. And I realize, you know, and I haven't, I, I should say, I've not yet finished, turned any of my hours long episodes into a books yet, but that's the goal ultimately. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to go try and sell them at museums and, and places like that. And I should say in between that and there, I did try teaching as well. I, I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. I, I did like it a bit. I, I only substituted, I should say. And I may, in fact, I, sometimes I still want, you know, because I'm on this voyage here and, and I work in, in retail to help support this podcast right now okay, and everything. Okay. This is like a long-term project. And I, you know, my very, I enjoy it. And there's certain, I don't know if I'm the person as, as much as I have to share as far as, I, I don't know. I, I worry, for example, like with my, uh, my, my being bipolar, like, would I yell at kids? You know, I, I'm not a very gentle guy and everything, but I, I could see myself like 10 years into teaching, losing my temper, you know, or something like, you know, where you, and I, I don't know if, if, and, and, or for example, and I struggle with the idea of if it would be good or bad mm-hmm. for me to tell kids mm-hmm, mm-hmm, about mm-hmm, my life. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they would, if it would come across how lucky I feel mm-hmm. that I am not dead. Well, when you look at your friends, of course. Like on the one hand, yeah, I, I think there are kids who would, you know, if I could notice kids in trouble where they might respond positively to that. But on the other hand, yeah, no, I worry that, well, look at Jesse, he did it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, and this is really when I heard your story in your first episode, what I really liked about it is that um, I didn't, of course, know a lot of the backstory, but I knew that you had left high school. That, yeah. Um, and in, in, in fairness, in your intro, you do say that, you know, you were still sort of in the 10th grade after the, after four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then I really, you know, because of other people I've had on my podcast, a lot of people who um, dropped out of college or did whatever, and then found their way back, not that you have to go to school. But yeah. the ways that people get themselves kind of back on track to finish or to accomplish something that's important. Well, I, ha- them, I, I do want to, I should say, I mean, as much as as terrible as I was at school when I was a kid, like educate, like it, it is important to me. And like history is such a passion of mine. And uh, that very much, uh, I guess, gave me. Yeah. I mean, you've got. To, uh, yeah. No, we all uh, I'm like, I'm, I just I, I, I I'm a big proponent on my show. Uh, you know, more, Usually I'm just talking about history, but people should have a hot, you know, and I tell people all the time, like this is this is uh, this is my the, the greatest uh, thing I could be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost picked another author who, Kurt Vonnegut, who oh, um, right okay. It, it, it's he has a great. I actually think it was a little doodle he had on on a book, maybe not even uh, something that he had written, but it was like, you know, we it, like the, it was something like God put us on the earth to fart around for a while, and don't yeah. let anybody <laughs> tell you any different. And I really take that to heart in a way that I mean. It's, it's very important that that you be very passionate about something and it doesn't have to, I mean it, it doesn't have to be the most important thing in the universe or, or anything like that I mean it could be telling history stories about escaped slaves and conquistadors and pirates That's right uh, you know it, <laughs> what I'm listening to is Tom is the man's name Tamahichi Tamahuchi? Oh, Tamachichi. Yeah. Tamachichi? The, 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 yeah. Oh right. man, that's a great story. Yeah. Well, listen, let's wrap up this little Please. portion just yes. by saying, um, what I really like about your story is that you did, uh, overcome something that had been challenging to you. You fought for what you wanted to get someplace else in your life. Um, the fact that you did try teaching again. And, and I suppose when I heard that I was thinking about, the way that you could relate to kids that were struggling yeah. in school because you had lived it yourself. But what I'm hearing now even more is just what a great gift you have for building relationships and including people as you've talked about and where your gift for teaching may not necessarily be kids in school. Yeah. And I say it might be in, you know, adult education or, right. you know, the way that, uh, you know, the way just that you can understand and connect with people who've, you know, faced some difficult times. So really, whether you're teaching in school or it's just coming through in the way that you connect and build relationships. Yeah, build yeah. Stuff. And I, I, I had actually never been out West before. And so I just, I took a road trip out West and oh. I, I saw the Rocky Mountains and I said, what am I doing with my, I'm saying, I don't, I don't have kids of my own. And I, I, I <laughs> and it's very hot in Savannah. I, it I mean, is very hot. And I realized, you know, 
and I told my, and my parents are getting older and they live in Florida. I told them, I said, you know, if in 10 or whatever, you know, in, in years from now, you know, they were around 70. If you need my help, I will move back East. Like do not hesitate to ask. But I, you know, it was like, uh, like my first uh, favorite character, Bilbo Baggins did it late in life. You know, I took an, a, a late in life adventure, I guess. That nothing and, wrong. Well, my God, you're not even 40. So cool. It was right. Late, yeah. Or late, yeah. 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 Late in life. I was well, I say, I say that I said, well, as I was moving, I was like, this has got to be some sort of midlife crisis that I'm going through or something. Hey, that's good though. That's <laughs> no, a good that, place to be. That's great. You know, shake it up a little bit. Listen, but, the next, and yes, um, I do want to have you talk a little bit yeah. about your podcast so people know how you chose the name, uh, The Atlantic World, and what your focus is. And just anything else you'd like us to know about your podcast? Oh, great! Yeah, and where to no. find it? That kind yeah, of- briefly. Yeah, um, it's it's the the Atlantic the history of the Atlantic World podcast. I guess is the 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 complete title um and you can find it on you know itunes spotify uh, iheart everywhere you can uh find podcasts now it's just audio so you know if you look for it on youtube you're not gonna it's you're not gonna get a great presentation or anything but uh (laughs) yeah just anywhere where uh, podcasts are are available i also um have a have a have a website it's oh, great. Uh, atlanticworld.transistor.fm and that's okay. just you know the basically the 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 feed and everything it's nothing special but uh okay uh the show is it, the the history of the atlantic world is a a, a, cl- a class i took in college which is basically if you rem- if for, for for folks who and they barely teach history anymore in high school but for folks who have taken western civ the <laughs> History of the Atlantic world is basically say is basically historians have said, okay, Western civ is nice, but the real Western civilization mm. isn't just from Europe. It yeah. also has a lot of Africa and the Americas in there. And, and just to give you a, a very brief example, if you went back in time to 1500 and you went to Italy and you were wanted to talk to Michelangelo or something like that, and you said, let's go get some dinner. And you went out to eat and you could go to anywhere anywhere to eat. I don't know what kind of restaurants they would have, but presumably you would be able to order pasta and there would be no marinara, no tomato sauce at all. There would be no tomatoes or, you know, there would be, and stuff like that. Um, that's that, that's the, the Colombian exchange. Now with that said, my show specifically, I kind of try and focus on what, or I guess the tagline is, uh, story is about uh, conquistadors, escaped slaves, pirates, and revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. It's a long form. I'm kind of a left-leaning person. I am uh, allegedly hilarious, and uh, I have a good time. I also do interviews with uh, historians. I started mm-hmm. doing that kind of because uh, it takes me a Recently. long time to, to, to do like a, a episode that is two hours long, you know, to do yeah. all the research. Right. And, and I'm having a, I'm still, I'm very new at that, but I, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> And, I will uh, tell you, so just, you know, back to the earlier point you're making, you know, it wasn't all Europe, but um, yeah. in this case, you were today in listening to my Savannah episode, again, uh, you were talking about the boat William and Sarah coming over and there were, can you tell me what type of Jews, Sephardic? Sephardic, Sephardic. yeah, Sephardic Jews. Okay, because so I, 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 like, never... I was like, oh, I don't remember the name of that boat. But, oh, um, oh, I got it. It's the, William the, the, and Sarah. Okay. <laughs> I already know. The, the Sephardic Jews are originally from Spain. Yeah. And and to tie all this together and like, so why would we study? So anybody like, why would I study Atlantic world history? I, I and, and basically what it does is it, it connects all these different places. And in, in 1492 in Spain, we're going to go all the way back there. There's three really important things that happen. And one of them obviously is Columbus. And, and another one is actually Ferdinand and Isabella get married and they, they there is a Spain. Um but another one, or actually, I, I think this that hurt. No, excuse me. The final historians are going to get like super, the history nerds are going to get super mad if I don't correct that. The okay. last, the last conquest of the reconquest, the final Muslim kingdom of Spain was oh, conquered in 1492. Excuse me. Ferdinand so glad you got that correct. Because I, I, I just somewhere, some somewhere, somebody was going to be like, I, "That's not right." <laughs> and, but the other one is the Spanish Inquisition, the I'm expulsion of <laughs> the expulsion of the Jews from Spain. These people, there's a, a Jewish diaspora that goes all over. A lot of them go to Portugal. A lot of the ones in Portugal, eventually, uh, they're kicked out of Portugal too. There's an inquisition there. And many of these people ultimately settle in uh, in England, or some of them do. And 
in, in London. There is a community of Jewish immigrants in London who in the 1700s are able to finance some other Jews who have been, I, I think they, they were secretly living in Spain or in Portugal, a community, basically mm-hmm. a town that um, was living in secret to move to the new world a- and actually to bring them first actually to England. I should say, just as a general rule of thumb, European leaders in, in, in ages past were more than happy to let you know wealthy Jewish merchants come over who would pay taxes from Spain to England. They were less concerned about bringing over a hundred and something poor people who could not afford their own passage to yeah, England. Yeah. But, well, King, I, this is King George. He has a brand new colony, Georgia. Why don't they go there? And uh, I learned about uh, them uh, working in Savannah. And um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but one of the guys there becomes a, a hero of the, or a, a, a veteran of the American Revolution, ultimately. Um, Sheftal Sheftal is his name anyway. And he, he was my favorite uh, person in the revolution. And this is one of the stories I like to talk about because he was, a uh, he, and I, maybe I relate to him because he was a little crazy. He, he would, he wore his military uniform for the rest of his life. Um, and in and fact, why not? Yeah. And well, and in fact, he would like more, and he had a very difficult life growing up and he was a young I should say, I would say he was like 14 or 15 and went off to the fight the revolution with like his older brother. And I, he was captured on a warship and I don't, I I don't know that he was tortured, but I'm sure he wasn't. He was imprisoned for some time on a, on a, on a British warship during the American Uh revolution. He was never the same Mm -hmm. when he got back. He uh, died uh, in fact in, in 18, uh, 25, about 50 years after that happened. But I like to tell his story for two reasons. One, because I empathize with him. I'm a little crazy too. Uh, Sheftal, Sheftal. Uh, two, I have a last, weird last name. You got it right. You, you, Wiest, a lot of people cannot pronounce Wiest, right? It's a very unusual German name. So having an unusual name immediately endears you to me. Well, I, I will just say that in your opening thing, in your very first podcast, because I see that how your name is spelled, it looks yeah. like this, but with a W. Right. I'm like, oh, I wonder how you say that. And then I heard you say Wiest. So I very carefully noted that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's important I, to get people's it, names right. Yeah, right? I, presumably in in Germany they have no issue with that. But <laughs> right, and I like to tell Sheftal Sheftal's story because he had a, a, a just this really great day, and I, and I liked to share this with the people, and I and I would and kind of sometimes end my tours with this. And I, and I hope your day is just this good too, because Sheftal Sheftal did not have the easiest life in the world, and in fact, Lord only knows how uh, he. Because he would spend his whole day marching on his front porch, apparently in case the British ever attacked again. Wow, and wow. so much so that apparently for years, his porch, original porch was still there in Savannah. You could see where he had worn in those specific floorboards wow. from his constant marching. And I, in 1825, though, um, the Marquis de Lafayette, uh, who, when I, you know, when I used to tell the story, nobody had seen Hamilton yet and nobody knew who he was, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Lafayette visited, uh, so, and he visited Savannah, Georgia, and Sheftel Sheftel had served under the Marquis de Lafayette for like all of about two weeks before he was captured, and 50 years later, the Marquis de Lafayette came to Savannah to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the country. And he gives this, you know, he's going up and down the Eastern seaboard, giving this speech and it's in French. Nobody understands what he's talking about, but um, we all cheered. Everybody was very happy. Then somebody got the idea that the remaining veterans of the revolution should go get in their uniforms and, and, and present themselves before the Marquis. So at this point, you know, this is, almost 50 years after the revolution had started, there's only seven guys in Savannah who are alive and have fought in the revolution. So yeah, so six of them run home as quick as they can. They change into their uniforms. Sheftal, Sheftal, he's already in his uniform. He doesn't have to change. (laughs) And (laughs) so they go and stand in front of the Marquis de Lafayette and the Marquis is nodding and smiling, saying, thank you for your service. He gets to Sheftal, Sheftal. He kind of looks at him for a while. He says, in his broken English, I remember you. Now, Sheftal Sheftal only lived for four more years after that. 
but uh, they said they couldn't knock the smile off of his face oh, if you tried. Oh my god! So uh, what a great anyway. story. Yeah, yeah. So for my listeners, I just want to tell you now you're getting a taste of why listening to Jesse's podcast is <laughs> phenomenal. He's an, I mean, just excellent storyteller. The details he finds for you are exquisite. And just like this podcast, you are just getting his voice in your ear. It's just like for you alone, his research is impeccable. So I highly, highly recommend listening to the... Now I looked it up on my phone in my library and it is listed as the Atlantic world, but I think on the actual artwork, it might say the history of the Atlantic world. So you can find it either way. Uh, and Jesse, I know we have a few minutes left here We and there's no rush. We can still yeah. take our time. But um, so number one, great podcast. Totally love thank it. You. I, that, I, that's I just, very kind of you, Mary. Well, I'm not, really, I'm thank not being you. kind. No. <laughs> I, if I didn't like it, we wouldn't be talking about it. Uh, just be honest that. about that. So one thing I wanted to ask, I did have a couple of questions I wanted to ask you, Jesse, um, before we talk about the book that you selected. Why do you think some people are fascinated by history and other people fascinated by the future? Wow, that is a, a great question. I don't know that I have an answer. You know, I'm going to relate this to the book a little bit and say that I don't know. And I'm going to say, I don't know, but I I will say that there, okay, this is a book of short stories. There's five short stories. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yes. I'll link to it. No, it's okay. The the truth about stories is by Thomas King and, and who is, he's a Canadian, an indigenous Canadian author who, mm-hmm. uh, and this, I can't remember what book this uh, won an award or something, but uh, it's a, it's excellent. And he is an excellent storyteller. It's five short stories. And I will say okay. he doesn't know, he, one of his stories is specifically lit- like a kind of a, 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 an essay on literary critique. And, and he talks about what other native writers are writing about. And he talks about some of his own novels and what he, he talks about, he, he mentions that n- native writers don't like writing about the past. Um, it's very rare. And he, he gives a, he doesn't know why. He specifically says, and I don't know why this is true. Maybe part of it is that by the time uh, a lot of indigenous people started wanting to write about the past, the, it was like the story of the cowboy and Indian story is so entrenched that they're like, well, what mm-hmm. am I going to, what, why don't I, I might as well just tell my story in the present or in the mm-hmm. future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 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 so I don't know, uh, you know, the, the, the future is always helpful. Uh, I'll say that, um, you know, speaking of indigenous people, you know, there's, there, there's things about the past that aren't very happy. Uh, now I find kind of like a, like a perverse, like a macabre enjoyment out of like, serious, like I'll, I, I will study topics like slavery and stuff like that. And I, I think there's just, I just have the time of my life and, and it's, and it's, and, and I gives me the, as the kids would say, it gives me the feels mm-hmm. when I, when I read about certain things, but um, you know, the, the human drama to it, 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 why people like history is that, is that, that human drama, I guess. Right. It's, I it's agree. just, um, I think some people don't like history because they get the wrong idea of about what history is, that history is a set of dates and mm-hmm. important people. Uh, it's George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. And I love that stuff. In fact, I'm a political junkie, but a lot of people aren't. But with that said, I enjoy the history of basketball. Uh, I mean, everything has a history. Like I said, mentioned earlier with tomato, food has a history, everything. If you think you don't like history, it's because you think that history is about a specific topic. And Mm -hmm. this also really irritates my friends when we go out to trivia and I'm the history guy and (laughs) like a question gets asked and I don't know the answer or I give a wrong answer. They're like, you're the history guy. And I say, history is everything that ever happened to everyone for all time. How would I know that? That's right. That's right. That's like, why don't you know? I'm sorry. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I Calvin Coolidge's cat's name or right. something, <laughs> you know? but anyway, uh, so I, I don't, yeah, I, I mean, you know, just different strokes for different folks, I guess, yeah. but um, I would say, you know, yeah. Um, so tell us why you picked this book and uh, also how many times you gave it away. Well, okay. I, I'm, I, yeah, I picked this book. I almost picked a book by Kurt Vonnegut and I was having trouble. And then all of a sudden I remembered a book that I loved more than any, that was more important to me. And if I was going to talk about myself, I figured I should get this book because it was so meaningful to me personally. This book was so meaningful to me. I read it first in college that I gave it away. Mm-hmm. I literally just pressed it into 
a friend's hands and said, you have to read this. And then I, I like must have gone, I don't remember how I got a second copy, but I must have gone right back to the bookstore and bought another one at some point and wanted to reread it. And anyway, I gave that book away. When I, I remembered this book, uh, The Truth About Stories, uh, I could not justify buying it a third time. So, you know, I, I went to the library. <laughs> well, thanks but, um, for doing the footwork to have it available so yeah. uh, we, we could share it today. And I, I like to say that this, this book is very self-aware. It's a, the truth about, it's a book that tells stories, but it's also about telling stories. And for anyone who is a storyteller, a writer, or involved in the creative process, I could not recommend this book enough. And I, I just want to uh, give you an idea real quick. Oh yeah, take the, your time. There's yeah, no the, rush. This, the, the author here of, I guess, what maybe his philosophy on stories is, and a little bit about the humor. Okay. Um, this is about stories. Of course, uh, um, okay, for the most part, I think of oral stories as public stories and written stories as private stories. I know I will generate disagreement on this point. After all, we are surrounded by books that can be read by anyone with public libraries, public bookstores. There would appear to be nothing private about Shakespeare or Jane Austen or Gabriel Garcia Marquez or Margaret Atwood. These writers and their works are known to the world, but the act of reading is a private act. And no matter how many people may have read a book or an article or a poem or a short story, each person reads that story themselves, by themselves, whereas oral stories generally have an audience in which there is a group dynamic. Though it could be argued that both reading and listening in the end are individual acts. And then there's television, so I'm probably wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> so what this book does, and, and the stories are all different, and, but it, it's talking about, he gets it basically, he says that stories, each chapter, I should also say, begins the exact same way. Um, it has almost the exact same introduction. I'm, I'll, 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 maybe I should just read that real quick. And there's sure. subtle differences between each chapter, but he has like a, like a, like a, a prologue or what a, is a prologue before? I don't even know. My, yeah. Yeah. yeah prologue. Prologue. Before yeah. like, a, it, it's like, there's a story I know. It's about the earth and how it floats in space on the back of a turtle. I've heard this story many times. And each time someone tells the story, it changes. Sometimes the change is simply in the voice of the storyteller. Sometimes the change is in the details. Sometimes in the order of events. Other times it's the dialogue or the response of the audience, but in all the tellings of all the tellers, the world never leaves the turtle's back and the turtle never swims away. And it, it continues on. And in each chapter, someone different has a question about the story. Uh, it's a little, and, and it seems silly. And some of his stories are silly. Some of them are very, I guess, important in that they might teach people things that they don't know about uh, indigenous right, or, you know, I don't want to get in, in I, you know, that's not my story to tell. I'll let him tell his stories, but um, yeah. it's, he, he, he lets everybody in. He says, there's a truth about stories and he tells you what it is in, in, in every chapter. And uh, the truth about stories is that stories are all that we are. And we tell ourselves stories and we grow up on stories and, and I guess this story is also, this book is also a critique about Western culture. And he's Canadian, I should say. So it's, it's obvious, everything in the West is also oh, always kind of US centric, but this is right. also very Canadian centric as well at certain times. But basically, like he critique, like he talks about these nonsensical native myths about how the, how a, a blue jay might bring the land up from the sea and, 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 and people might, or, or like a turtle might make people, you know, the world's on a turtle's back. Coyote might just make people one day out of clay. And, but he doesn't like them very much. So he remakes them out of corn because he's an <laughs> idiot. And, and how different that story is than, than what's in Genesis. Give this a thought. What if the creation story in Genesis had featured a flawed deity who was understanding and sympathetic rather than autocratic and rigid? Someone who in the process of creation found herself lost from time to time, in need of advice, someone who is willing to accept a little help with the more difficult decisions. What if Adam and Eve had simply been admonished for their foolishness? I love you, God could have said, but I'm not happy with your behavior. 
let's talk this over, try to do better next time. What kind of a world might we have created with that kind of story? And I think that's, uh, I mean, I, I think that's profound, to be honest. I do, I do um, too. Yeah, and, I really. And, and, and that's part of, of why this is so important. And, and at the end of each chapter, the, Thomas King gives you a choice. I, he tells you what the, he again kind of repeats what the quote unquote truth about stories is. With, at the end of each chapter, he tells you that you can take that story. You can have it. You can do whatever you want with it. You can, um, at the end of chapter one, do with it what you will. Tell it to friends. Turn it into a television movie. Forget it. Here's the only thing you can't do, though, I guess. If I, um, with what, what Thomas King had told me that I can't do with a story. Don't say in the years to come you would have lived your life differently if only you had heard this story. You've heard it now. I find that that very powerful. And um, that is powerful. You know, Jesse, I actually I what I love about that, which brings us sort of full circle in this conversation, because um, we started off talking about your early years and what fifth grade was like for you. And a couple of times you've alluded to the fact that you should have done it a little differently. Oh, yeah. yeah. And in fact, the story has already been told. So there's nothing different to be done. So letting the story just stand as it is, yeah. right? Giving yourself some grace and wisdom. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't, yeah, no, I don't like, I, I don't want to say like I'm like dwelling on the, don't want to make it seem like I dwell on like my mistakes in the past. And I do do that. For sure. Actually, I do do that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> well, I, I like to, I, I mean, the, I mean, as much as I love the, 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 the past and everything, I mean, it's, it's important because there's a future. That's yeah. Hey, that's a very good point. You know, we talk about people why they might prefer to think about the future and write about the future, um, because maybe the past is all the story is told, and we're just revisiting. Well, I mean, I mean, it's like it's very cliche, but I mean, those who forget the past are doomed to repeat. I mean, there's there's truth in in that if you you can learn, obviously. I mean, everything's in the past, and so we need to learn from it. I don't like the saying though history repeats itself. I, yeah. I, I mean, it, if history repeated itself, I'd be talking to you across the campfire in a cave somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd still be storytelling. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, but with that said, on. Some, someone once said, history does not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I like that um, very much. Jesse, is there anything we didn't talk about today that you wished we had or that you hoped we had or anything else you'd like to say before we um, spend our time together? No, I, I, th- I think not. Um, I will, I want to leave it with, I'm, I don't want to mention, because I don't want to talk about the specific, there's, it'd be pointless to talk about the specific stories in here. They'll, they'll, I will say that this is divided into five chapters and the first four are told in a way, are, are, are almost like they're oral stories written down. Mm-hmm. And the last one though is a, what he what the author would call a private story and for anyone out there who reads this book uh i definitely recommend it if you read that please read if you read that last chapter you'd understand and you'll understand why it was so why you'd you'd be like oh Mm. that's why this is so important to him Mm -hmm. and anyway it it was a delightful speaking with you mary barbara oh thank you jesse it has been let me tell you you have been i mean you're just a master storyteller Oh, and, thank you. you know, being able to ask one question and just let you spin off and tell everything has been really, I mean, it's just the delight of the host to be able to just join with the audience and relax and listen. You know, sometimes as a host, you're very busy monitoring oh, yeah. and asking the questions and trying to do this or that. Uh, and in this case, I literally just asked you one question and off you went and I can oh, relax. Well, I, I can assure you any you should just keep interviewing historians and we're all like that. We can keep going. <laughs> well, you also uh, have a great sense of humor. That yeah. <laughs> well, listen, right. you know, it occurs to me that um, I really would love to interview you again. And um, the, what drew me to you this time was the story about getting your GED. Again, yeah. I know that my listeners well, happy know to. that I'm big into adult literacy and people overcoming and going back. But also now I can't wait to go get this book and read it. And I'm not going yeah. to the library. I'm going to own it myself. <laughs> um, but maybe, you know, coming, bit rounding, uh, coming back in the circle and visiting with you again and talking more about it or some other book or what have you. It, but, yeah, um, no, yeah. It was so um, enjoyable today to chat with you. Absolutely. No, I, I, I uh, if, uh, I, I mean, ob- yeah, I have, a, I, there's a lot of books that have, uh, that have kind of, uh, 
I'd say, yeah, I I very, it was very difficult for me to say, okay, not a Kurt Vonnegut book because I mean, just, um, I, I, yeah, I'd love to speak with you again too sometime. This was a a very enjoyable. uh, Great. Thanks. Great. All right. You're welcome. Well, I'll say goodbye to you off the air, but I'll say goodbye to my listeners for now. Thanks for joining me. Um, so let's see after Jesse, I think my next, next guest is, uh, yet another amazing person. As I tell you, her name is Karen Prudeau. And, um, I knew Karen way back in the day when I lived up in Cleveland and we always, my daughter and I jokingly called her Karen Carpenter because she, uh, it does woodworking. She's actually a social worker, but oh, she cool. does woodworking and she yeah. built my daughter's loft when we moved into our apartment, uh, she built a loft for my daughter and it was, you know, amazing. So we've always called her Karen Carpenter, but anyway, that's, that's, who's coming up on my next show. And, um, I look forward to hearing from everybody. If you have anything you'd like me to ask Karen, let me know. And I'll ask her those questions during the interview. Jesse, you're fantastic. So great to talk to you today. Uh, you as well. Thank you.